Playing Crazy Down Under's coverage of Air Venture 2011 is proudly sponsored by Jet Ride Australia. Be a top gun for the day. Visit jetride.com.au slash PCDU. Pracy Racing, proudly flying the Aussie flag at the Reno Air Races. Racyracing.com. Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation marketplace. Make buying and selling easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. The GA8 Airvan, built down under by Gips Aero. Gipsaero.com. And by Thromby Air, a satirical look at the world of low-cost air travel. Thrombiair.com, the lowest of the low. Well, good day, folks. Welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, episode 71. Coming to you from Camp Shola here at uh, AirVenture 2011, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'm Steve Vischer. This is Oshkosh number two. Standing with me is a very tired David Vanderhoof and a very tired Grant McHeron. And I think I'll join in and say I'm pretty exhausted too, guys. <laughs> We're on the hump day. This is Wednesday. It's halfway through. Uh, we're pretty much shutting it all down on Sunday, so we've got Thursday, Friday, and Saturday to go. So we're pretty much in the halfway point. And it's been a long day today. We woke up to some severe weather and a little bit of rain. Not so much slosh kasha as 2010, but it definitely made an impression on us. It wasn't, uh, look, i got to say, it wasn't as bad as the thunderstorm on Saturday night, uh, Sunday morning. That was pretty intense, like 40 mile an hour winds, tents being blown all around the place. But uh, this was just wet. Very wet. Yeah, especially for those who had the leak right above them. Sorry, David. Yes. Didn't bother me, boys. I slept right through it, actually. It said it's raining, and I thought, well, there's not much else to do. And I can tell you, I was so exhausted last night. I just flaked and uh, had a bit of a uh, much-needed sleep in this morning. But uh, as we're standing here now, it's, uh, it's quite it's quite muggy again. And um, you know, it's actually quite a bit hazy, actually. And there's people walking back from the showers. We're standing amongst uh, this this mecca, this city of uh, mobile homes, tents. Campfires. Yeah, caravans, yeah. you name it. It's, uh, yeah, there it's is uh, been a big day. There's definitely a low ceiling here. You can see it reflecting off some of the lights over there and uh, and around the light, the uh, street lights here. So, uh, yeah, it's not as humid as it's been at times. It's not as nasty. It's quite, you know, it's about 25, 26, I think. I'd Absolutely, say. yeah. So, anyway, it didn't get stop. What was that? Wait, wait. <laughs> okay, I'm talking Celsius. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, just remember what side of the planet you're on again, guys. My side. Everything <laughs> is always about me. That's exactly right. We, we can't talk American, and we certainly wouldn't dare do it around any of them. And not especially at this time of night when I'm ready to go to bed. There you go. All right. So, uh, this episode, we've got a huge amount of content for you again. We're going to kick it off with Michael Gullian, Red Bull, or former Red Bull Aeros pilot. I guess the really there is no such thing as Red Bull Air Race, at no, least at the won't. moment. Uh, we had a great chat to Michael, and I'll tell you what, what a great ambassador for uh, aviation he is. nice guy. Yep, in fact, great uh, interview. Yeah, David and I walked up, and as you'll hear in the interview, um, you know, there's a couple there waiting, a, a father and son, and they were just itching to have their uh, pilot's logbooks signed by uh, Mike Gillian. I'm oh, happy to oblige. Great guy. Ken was at the ratty. Definitely a cool guy. Yep, we've also got a few. Uh, David, you spoke to a rather unique uh, airshow pilot who, uh, you know, spare time flies jumbo jets. Yeah, and she, um, like Steve said, flies jumbo jets, 747-400s. CC Gillen, um, she was for the Hamilton. Um, very lovely interview, um, great stuff, and some advice for us young people who want to learn to fly. Yeah, and it's, it's it's really a lot about dream building around here, isn't it? It's, it's it's such a such an atmosphere around here of positivity. I mean, you hear a lot of negative stuff going on here in the U.S. at the moment, and I guess around the world. But you, that's certainly not evidenced, uh, you know, here. here. It's, it's it's such a an amazing spirit. It's you know, it's, it's all a about... lot of people who really love one thing in common, and it's all about flight. Yep, that's yep. the one. 
Absolutely. So we've got a fair bit of other content in there. It's going to be a uh, pretty good Oshcast because we're not calling them quick cast this time. We made that mistake at Avalon. <laughs> no, not making that mistake again. It's definitely an Oshcast, not a quick cast. There's nothing quick about this lot. Absolutely. And uh, Grant, you've been out doing a few Vox Pops as well just to uh, kind of get a feel for it. So uh, and you've yeah. met some pretty interesting people and we'll let the let the listeners uh, catch up with that as we get yeah, through the episode. Pretty broad, broad spectrum today. Some in this episode, maybe some in the next. And uh, I've also been running around today uh, organising stuff for tomorrow. I've got a lot of work to do tomorrow a lot of kiwi contingent and a stack of aussies and a few other interesting people we need to get this uh, this episode uh, in the can and edited because uh, the great man himself uh, steve tapper has turned up today so uh, goodness knows what's going to go on over in that campsite oh, after we finish here it'll probably involve jeremiah weeds let's go <laughs> yeah, all right all right let's Time kick this yeah, yeah let's let's kick this episode off Okay, well, um, we've had a lot of Red Bull Air Race pilots on playing Crazy Dead Under, but uh, one Red Bull Air Race pilot we haven't spoke to and I've long wanted to meet is Mike Gooley, and he's standing with us right now. Mike, thanks for spending some time oh, with us. glad to be here. Thank you. Well, it's been a long time since Perth. The last time I just came that close to interviewing you, but uh, what have you been doing since uh, you've obviously been very busy, lovely-looking airplane here, beautiful paint job? Yeah, the, we've been doing a lot. You know, um, even when I was in the, in the Air Race series, I was still flying air shows as well uh, in North America, so I would do about... Well, however many air races there were, six to eight air races, and then about 15 or so air shows. So we were keeping really busy. Yeah. I would uh, go from air race, back to the States air show, back to another air race, back to another air show. And um, now that the series uh, isn't happening in 2011, I'm full-time focused on the air show industry. So we've been campaigning our wheel and extra all over North America and uh, here now at Oshkosh, which is sort of just really the, the big daddy for us here yeah. for the whole week. Now, when we talked to Matt Hall, he actually modified the race plane so that he could do more aerobatic work. Yes. Uh, you know, made, took, probably took some of the modifications off that made the plane more suitable for air racing. Have you done that, or is this a different aircraft? So this is a different aircraft. This is a, an extra 330SC, which is really pretty much stock, except for the fact that we have a Lycoming Thunderbolt 580 in it, so we, it has an 11-to-1 compression engine and a Hartzell propeller on the uh, composite prop on the front. So those are the two main big differences. Um, the rate, our race plane was so highly modified that it just wouldn't really work for what we were trying to do with it. So the extra, it's, uh, it's not only a great performer, but it's also really reliable. Uh, where the race planes, you know, it was built super lightweight. The temperatures were very hot on it and everything else. So we would have to have spent a lot of money to turn it back into something that was good for the, uh, the air show world. It's one of the really interesting things I noticed at Perth was that when the aircraft was stopped, you had a lot of the pilots, I don't know whether you did, you probably did, had electric cooling fans in there to keep those engines cool. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the race was designed... So the, the, the race was designed for... The fastest airplane, but also the guy that got the most horsepower had a huge advantage. And the problem with making a lot of horsepower out of an engine like that is it just creates a ton of heat. Mm -hmm. And those engines were really, really hot. And we would have to restart them sometimes 15 minutes after we shut down. And we're talking cylinder head temperatures of 450 degrees Fahrenheit, oil temperatures of 240 degrees, uh, which is what you would never really see in a normal day-to-day -day, mm -hmm. uh, general aviation airplane. So it was a lot to ask of the 
airplane. Uh, and we had to use fans to get the engines as back down to temperature as quickly as we could. What sort of, uh, obviously that would have a very high wear and tear factor on the aircraft. So how often would you have to tear that engine down? Every race? or It wasn't an every race thing, but I would say that uh, you'd be looking at doing the, the engine at least every season, which was only about a 75-hour season. So yeah. you think about uh, the hours and the money that goes into one of those engines. Uh, it was a pretty high pretty high debt load there for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, what do you find more challenging, the aerobatic flying or the racing? Interesting. Um, it's a great question. I, for me, the, the red, every Red Bull Air Race was a, was a big challenge. Um, for the major standpoint of it's, it was always that, how far do I want to take it? How far do I want to risk it? And uh, because you really had to fly on the edge in the air race to get really good results. And so um, you had to know where your personal limit was or where the limit of the airplane was. So from that regard, the air race was really difficult because you were always on the edge. Here, flying in the air show world, it's a challenge from, uh, you know, I don't want to hit the ground standpoint. But with a uh, with a really polished show and a disciplined pilot, uh, I think honestly this is probably a safer safer venue to operate in, only because of the fact that it's not against the clock. Uh, you're there to impress and ha and do a great show for the people. Whereby with the Red Bull Air Race, it was really just you and how fast can I make it go and. Uh, take chances where you need to. One of the interesting human factors I always note with you guys when you're preparing for the air race was the visualization aspect. A lot of you would walk around and see you doing this sort of routine with your hands and really walking through physically but also mentally through that. Do you do that same sort of preparation for, for an air show routine? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the funny thing is a lot of people think that that was kind of invented for the Red Bull Air Race. Well, that's actually the other way around. If you were to go to an aerobatic competition, you would see 50 competitors walking through their sequences in their head, which they've done since the 70s, actually. So because all of our background is from the aerobatic world, we just basically translated that into walking through an imaginary track at a place like Perth. So that's what we're doing. We're closing our eyes, picturing what we see out the window, thinking about what the wind is doing to us, all those different things, what the G-Force is going to feel like, um, and translated that right into going out and trying to do a good time on the racetrack. But it really started from the aerobatic role. And we don't know whether or not the Red Bull Air Race, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not it will come back. Have you heard any news? or about So there is, um, there is a lot of talk about coming back in 2013 with some demonstration races in 2012, uh, and we're all very hopeful for that. So yeah. uh, it, it, at the moment it looks pretty positive. One of the the, um, the last season you had of the Red Bull Air Race course, we had a number of incidents. We had Matt Hall skipping across the water there at Windsor, plus the uh, young Brazilian gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, unfortunately going into the to the water. Did that make the rest of you guys really sit up and take take notice of you know this is a serious sport that we're doing and we've really got to you know practice even more intensely? You know. I think the reality of it is we all know that it was a it was a dangerous sport and um, the the incidents that happened were were just a result of that and it's one of those things like, like I was saying before is how hard can I how hard can I do it how close to the edge can I get before I went over 
And, um, you know, unfortunately, those guys, they, they found the edge and tripped over it, right? Yeah. And uh, that's one of the things in aviation that you just can't do. Um, so when, when we talk about Red Bull coming back, one of the things that they're looking at is how to prevent that in the future because we can't have that again. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your aviation career, how you started. We have a lot of listeners on both of our shows where talk about kids call up and say, we want to know how to start. We want to know what you want. Sure. I mean, as a role model for young people what would you do? how would you describe well, what I had a great I had great exposure to it as a kid um, my family had a flying school so I would fuel airplanes and wash bugs off leading edges and clean dirty bellies for uh, the chance to fly in my dad's Cessna 150s and so for me uh, that began a love affair with airplanes, I still think they're special. Every time I fly, I still feel lucky that I get to do it. It's not uh, its not my right, it's a privilege. And I kind of think it's a neat way for people to get started is to go to the airport and say to the local um, fixed base operator or the local flying school to say, hey, I want to be a pilot someday. I don't have all the money in the world, but I'm willing to earn my way into a pilot certificate and into a flying role. And I think that's the greatest thing you can do. We actually have a 15-year-old uh, boy here with us who's sort of, we call him the intern, but he's uh, he's really cleaning our airplane and cleaning fingerprints and being immersed in aviation, and he loves every minute of it. He's got 55 hours, and he's going to solo in September uh, when he turns 16, and that's a cool thing. So I tell all these kids, um, go to the airport, stop looking through the fence, get on the inside of the fence, help them out. It's super hard work and it will take a long time and it's worth every minute of it. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously uh, someone who's as high profile as yourself in the aviation game, just before we started this interview, a young man here brought his logbook up, you know, obviously made his entire air show. You've signed his logbook. That's the sort of ambassador work that you would do a lot of, I imagine. Absolutely. And, uh, we in the United States, anyways, are seeing a decline in the pilot population, and it's a big deal. Everybody is talking about it, so we want to make sure that uh, you know it's as nice as it is for the five and six and seven-year-olds to be exposed to it. It's really the 13, 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds that we want because this is the current generation of pilots, and. Um, we're trying to say, hey, you know what? Skateboards are cool. Airplanes are cooler. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the whole idea. So if we can change that for somebody, that's a big deal. I see the Blue Angels were here today. One of the guys, number seven jets here. And uh, their, their whole goal in life is to recruit. And uh, this is obviously the right place to do it. Okay, well just before we let you go, uh, Mike, tell us about the routine you're going to be doing here at, uh, at AirVenture. So the the, uh, the routine that we'll fly here at AirVenture is a combination of all of my years of competition experience. So hard vertical lines, hard G-pulls, perfect rolls with perfect stops, but then take all of that and turn it into end-over-end tumbling, uh, wingtip spins, and all the things that you want to be able to see to turn an air show, uh, to turn a, a flight into a show. That's the biggest thing, is like 
throw in a whole bunch of out of control with a whole bunch of absolute perfect precision, and then you've got something that uh, everybody can enjoy. Do you have a favorite maneuver? It's a good question. A lot of people ask that. It, no, um, you know, it's funny. I, I love them all. Some of them, obviously, a little more challenging than the others. But uh, for me, just the, the experience of doing it is is really it's a it's a it's a rush for 12 minutes and i was telling my wife we were driving to the airport this morning i said i was nervous yesterday because it was the first air show that i flew um of the week and she's like why and i said because it's air venture yeah right you know you, I, i've flown hundreds and hundreds of air shows in front of millions of people the pilots show so people are watching and people that are watching here know what they're looking at so you got to do it right one more question. I just it may, it may be a silly question. I'm not sure. If you're flying somewhere up uh, in the north of the US in the, in the colder weather, obviously you've got a nice low density altitude, great performance. You know, we're standing here today. It's the middle of the US summer. It's quite humid, so obviously you've got a high density altitude. Is that a factor at all when you've got a degraded performance? It's a great question. It is. It, it actually is a factor. Um, so usually I will start off in the colder climate, right down at 50 feet, and the airplane goes back and forth at you know, whatever, 20 to 50 to 60 feet the entire time. Yesterday, I started at about 250 feet. Third maneuver was down at 200. Fourth maneuver was down at 150 and down, and and you had to use that little cushion to maintain your speed. And I've been in Ohio practicing in, oh, about 40 degrees C temp down there, uh, trying to get used to that. So yes, absolutely, it makes a big difference, and you have to, you actually have to think about it. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to see your routine today, Mike. It's an absolute privilege to meet you, and thanks for spending some time with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Harold Christensen, you're here with uh, EQ1. Yes. Okay. Now you're the American rep selling into the uh, North American market? Exactly. We're distributing into the U.S. and Canada from okay. our, our office in Spokane, Washington. Cool. But we're here at Oshkosh and uh, talk to the customers. Excellent. And how long have you been dealing with the EQ1 wireless headset? Mm, almost two years. It'll be two years, I think, this coming October. How's the market going for you over here? You know, it's it's going it's going pretty well. There's certainly a, a want for a wireless aviation headset. Um, the idea has been around for quite some time, and uh, customers have asked for it. Well, we finally came out with a with a reasonable working uh, model to do that. So yeah. it's it's been pretty good. And it's the same model that uh, the guys were selling at Netfly that we were interviewing uh, earlier in the year. Exactly. They yeah. they manufacture that in Perth and they ship it to us in Spokane. Okay. Right. This is exact same. And how much is it going for? Uh, the price is fourteen ninety-five U.S. dollars for the EQ Link Kit. Yeah, which gives you uh, the headset and the link unit to plug into a normal. The link unit. module, exactly. All the charging cables and data yep. cables and things that are required to operate the headset are included in that as well. And that's the this is the unit here that uh, so that you because you've got the the unit that you can just plug straight into the standard audio jack uh, headset jacks in a plane and gives you wireless. Or it, then you've got this unit here which. I'm guessing what I'm looking at here is there's your EQ link and mm -hmm. that's replicating what you'd have in the plane. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Your audio panel. So it's like having it's like having a cable with no cable. Yeah. So this would give you about a 10 meter uh, distance between the, the link module yep. and this corresponding EQ1 headset. Okay. And uh, are you doing much so many sales of the uh, installations where you're putting the whole thing directly into Probably the plane? Probably less of a demand for that. Okay. Um, you know, with, with uh, certified aircraft cabins, to have only wireless headsets in there, it's it's a 
you know, fairly large financial commitment, and most people want to use their nice Bose headset, or there's nothing wrong with my wired headset. So this is actually a better fit for the U.S. market. We can have some wired headsets and some wireless headsets and interchange them. Yeah, people can just bring what they want to go exactly. flying with their mates. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And. Uh, yeah, so where do you see the market going for you guys? How's uh, you, you're getting much traction? People are recognizing it, and oh, for sure, being aware. Uh, you know, especially especially at this show, this is actually the first time that we've had a working EQ link set up to show at a trade show. Uh, we had you know pictures, we had ideas before that, but we've started shipping product to the U.S. in uh, I believe it was late April of this year. Um, so we're actually be able to demonstrate it here. So the word of mouth has been really great. We had a great response yesterday, and they're telling their friends, and their friends are coming over. So I can feel the ball starting to roll a little bit. Okay. Excellent. And how are you finding, like, have you got any special deals going while you're here? Is there any? Well, we're running a show special. It's typically $14.95. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the show price through Sunday is uh, $1,200 US dollars per. And uh, anything special that you want to tell the uh, North American market or say back to the Australians about how it's going? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I just, um, you know, we're really excited about the product. It's been, again, it's an, an idea that's been talked about for years. I, I think it's almost not even been an idea anymore. It's an expectation that someone would do it and that we're, you know, on the cutting edge of that is, you know, great place to be. So nowhere to go but up. <laughs> cool. And how would people get in touch with you over here if they wanted to buy from the U.S. market? Uh, they could look it on our website. We're wirelessaviationheadsets.com. Okay. Uh, the telephone number is 509-731-3153. My name is Harold Christensen. That's my direct line. Uh, or they can uh, email us at contact at wirelessaviationheadsets.com. Excellent. Harold, right. thanks very much for coming on the show. Okay. Thanks very much. Cool. Well, I'm walking along here now with Earl. Earl is a gentleman who uh, has been coming to uh, Oshkosh for just a little while. Well, <laughs> yeah. Earl, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. All right, I'm glad to be here, I'll tell you. Been here since, first one since 53. So that was, it wasn't at, it was at a different airfield then, it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the Curtis Wright Airfield at that time. Uh, uh, and it's just outside of Menominee Falls. It's yeah. called Whitman Field now. And of course, uh, I was at the meeting, but I never did make the final because Korea grabbed me and I got inducted into the military. <laughs> what were you doing in Korea? Korea has helicopters. Oh, cool. Uh, always maintenance. Yeah. The only thing I've ever done until, uh, well, in and out from between the Vietnam War and the Korean War and everything else I went through, I retired out of the military. But I was maintenance all my life until I turned 70 and then I got my pilot's license. Oh. <laughs> well, there you go. That's total proof there's a chance for me yet because I'm 40-something and still working on my licenses. But uh, Oh, yeah. Hey, that's it. I tell you, so it's all these, uh, most of the stuff out here, the old warbirds and everything especially, I've been in contact with from what flew in Korea, what flew at the end of World War II, uh, yeah. the B-29 over here. I've got yep. experience with that thing. We uh, put some down in uh, Okinawa years ago. And we worked on them for a while, but then I was a civilian. Then I come back and I worked for the Department of Agriculture. And down in Florida, we used a B-29 as a spray plane. As a spray plane? Sure did. Oh, sure wow. did. They cleaned it all out, and uh, and it was a spray plane. That would have carried so, a lot of spray. Oh, yeah. So uh, so I like to come here. I don't think I've missed too many years, like, say, other than the military. <laughs> so what's special about Oshkosh? What keeps bringing you back? The people. Uh, I know so many of them uh, that are here, and uh, I don't know. I just like to reminisce with a lot of the old guys, and yeah. and, and I, I'll never lose my uh, 
my enjoyment of, of watching them fly or flying myself. Well, so what do you yeah. fly, Earl? Right now I'm flying Experimental. Uh, it's a Flight Star two place on Moan Airfield down in South Carolina. Just a two dirt strip. And uh, we do a lot of training down there uh, for sport pilot license. Fly a lot of kids. Right. And it's just, uh, it's just a fun thing to do for me. Did you fly to Oshkosh? No, no. I did a couple of times, but it, I realized I forget it. The length of time it took me to get there with these small airplanes. <laughs> I pack up my motorhome and I go now. So you've been coming the whole time. You used to fly here. Well, you've been, yeah. mostly been bringing your motorhome here. So you're in Camp Shola, yeah? Right, sure. Yeah, yeah we're camped over there. Oh, we, cool. uh, we were a couple of days late because I had uh, a few problems with my motorhome. Oops. Oops. Yeah, that's about that kind is you're about right. Because <laughs> we do a lot of running around through the through the mountains on our way up here. Okay. Yeah. Do a lot of sightseeing and that kind of thing, and then spend our week up here and back home again till next year. Cool. This is a big annual annual excursion for you. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, and of course. Uh, uh, my kids used to come up here with us, but they aren't. They just aren't on in, into aviation. So, yeah. but that's all right. Oh, it was worth a try. They, you still, know. they still fly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they do fly. Oh, well, no, they with me they do. Oh, okay. Yeah, Excellent. they come over for riding, not flying. <laughs> they just love to ride. Yeah, I know. And of course, and I enjoy having them. Yeah. You know, so, but that's that's me in the EAA. Okay. I'll stay here forever, I guess. <laughs> well, Earl, thank you very much for taking the time hey, to chat I appreciate talking to you. Cool. You have a great yeah. show, and here's oh, to many more. We'll do that. I'll tell you. I guarantee you I will. <laughs> I'll be here. All right. Appreciate you. Thanks, Nice Earl. talking to you. And you. Okay, we're standing here at the marquee for the National Championship Air Races at Reno, and, uh, of course, we want to talk about this because uh, one of our sponsors is uh, going to Reno, Jet Ride Australia, and uh, Pracy Racing. So we're here with Valerie Miller, and Valerie, welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Now, you're the Director of Marketing for the Reno Air Race Association. I am. So tell us what that job involves. Well, basically what we do is, uh, well, I'm, I've got a team that works with me, and we do all the marketing and the public relations when it comes to doing the program, putting on television commercials, our radio ads, uh, all the advertising that we do in different aviation publications, uh, making sure that people are aware of the event, coming out and doing different air shows and so forth, and, and trying to spread our message and let people know we've got one of the best events in the world. Yep. So, and of course, being here at Oshkosh would obviously be the biggest uh, forum for you to do that. It's preaching to the converted, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, tell us about the a bit of the uh, the history of the Reno Air Races. It's been going for quite some time, hasn't it? Absolutely. They started in 1964 um, there in Reno. We had a group of 10 men that were in the casino industry. And in September, they noticed after Labor Day weekend that the business would fall off in downtown Reno. And so these gentlemen got together and they're all aviation enthusiasts and thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to bring back air racing and let's do it here in Reno. So for two years, they were out at Sky Ranch, which is technically in Sparks. And then in 1966, they moved it to the Reno Steadfield, which was an ex-military base. And that's where we've been for the last uh, uh, 48 years, actually. Right. And the D elevation there is actually quite high, isn't it? I believe we're a little it's... over 5,000 feet. Right. Okay. So that's uh, that, that's quite unique in itself, isn't it? So, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, one of the things I notice here is that uh, we've got a, a movie coming into IMAX uh, talking about air races, air races 3D. So uh, tell us what's been involved in uh, producing that uh, movie. Well, we've been working with Pretend Entertainment for the last two years in putting together this IMAX movie. Uh, they've been out on the course. We've actually done some closed course air-to-air -air photography, which has never been done before. It's all in 3D and it's more of a documentary on the air races so you're going to actually be able to see all six different classes race. Um, we have our unlimiteds that we definitely focus in with Steve Hinton Jr. Um, and it's going to be an unbelievable 
movie documentary. Yeah. And it will premiere on February 10th in 2012 at the Smithsonian IMAX Theater there in Washington, D.C. And then we've actually has, uh, it's all booked for 12 different countries all around the world. So anyone that's an aviation fan or an air race fan can go to any IMAX theater and be able to see this movie. Okay, and we know for sure perhaps that it's coming to Australia and New Zealand. I, I guess that would be, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Now we've got a lot of Aussies racing in the, uh, in the air races this year. Is, yes, uh, have you do. seen an increase in the number of Aussies? We know Pracy Racing, our sponsors there, but there's a number of others that are uh, going to be there as well. Absolutely. We do have a gentleman that's from Australia that's in our Formula One class, and we also have another racer, John Cookshun, that's from Australia that'll be flying in the jet class as well. Right, okay. And do we know, I don't know this, is there any New Zealanders flying, do we know of this We year? do have one New Zealander. Right, okay, excellent. Do we know what he's flying at all? I believe he's in the jet class. Oh, okay. So, what would you, I mean, we're standing here in front of a heavily modified P-51, we can see carbon fibre all over the wings and stuff. And it's, it's still got those classic lines. Is this the most popular category, or we know our, our guys are flying jets, but what would you regard as... Well, the yeah. Mustang that we're actually standing in front of is considered a Thunder Mustang. It's a two-third scale Mustang, right. and it has um, a wonderful engine that powers it into our gold race, which is the fastest of all the sport class, and definitely an up-and-coming. The sport class is kind of your middle racing where you can have a family airplane and then actually bring it out to the races and race it and then take it home and then take the family on vacation yeah, in it. Yeah. So it's a very popular class, up and coming. Uh, probably one of the mid cost classes. Yeah. Um, one of these Thunder Mustangs you're probably going to spend about 500000 right. to actually put one together and actually race it. But definitely the most popular class I will say is our unlimited class. It's our World War II piston driven uh, class where you've got P-51 Mustangs and Hawker Sea Furies and you've got Tiger Cats and you've got um, I've even got a Hellcat that comes wow. out and races. Uh, last year we actually had the pleasure of hosting an original Folk Wolf that actually raced wow. for the first time in Gee. Reno and we're hoping to get the Zero out this year. So we're doing our best to uh, definitely get some different aircraft that get out there on the field. That class is definitely the, one of the fastest classes between the jet class and the unlimiteds. They do reach speeds over 500 miles an hour. Right. And you're 40 feet off the deck. See, that's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. One of the things we've noticed um, in general with uh, with uh, ex-military aircraft is there seems to be an increase in the number of uh, you know jet aircraft that are, that are you know, ex-fighter jets that are coming onto the market. Are you seeing an increase in that category uh, with that? With well, that the, the, the difference with the jet class that we have, keep in mind, everything has to be fixed wing and non-afterburner. So you're kind of limited on the jets that you can actually put out on the course. Their speeds do reach over 500 miles an hour, and we have to keep them down into an area and we can't have you know any any real loud jets going around the course due to the sound and so forth so basically you're limited to an l29 an l39 and a t33 right so yeah there seem to be plenty of those around well, at the moment yeah and iskras are becoming very popular as well i'm mm. starting to see quite a few of the iskras yeah. so and the big thing is to get an l29 put a viper engine in it so those are the ones to beat right now okay, okay valerie so once again the air races for this year are when we're september 14th through the 18th okay at reno so everybody should get there and where can they find you online online at www.airrace.org fantastic valerie miller thanks very much for joining us thanks for having us thank you appreciate it the need the need for speed jet ride australia is a premier fighter experience in the country and the perfect gift for every budding top gun from mild to wild jet ride tailors each flight individually to give you the mind-blowing ride of your life to make your dream a reality check out jetride.com.au slash pcdu or aussies can call 1300 554 876 jet ride forget the rest fly with the best 
Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviation. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. You're listening to Grant and Steve from Playing Crazy Down Under, recorded live at AirVenture Oshkosh 2011. This is David again at Oshkosh at Cotico Phillips Square. We're standing next to a Edge fi- Hamilton Edge 540 and I'm talking to CC Gardner. Glad to be here. Let's start with, how did you get into flying? Um, I think the whole flying experience started when I was probably 14 years old or even earlier. My father was a World War II guy and so I grew up with aviation in my background. The history of my family is, was aviation due to World War II. And so it, it just seemed natural for me to try to get into aviation because I absolutely loved it. Um, my background was sports. I was really into sports. And the transition you know, into aviation, it, it sounds funny, but, but I really think it, it's, it's a sporting event at times. Well, I, I just listened to you completely recite your whole aerobatic routine by heart um, and we were we talked briefly about the athleticism that you have um, from flying aerobatics what possessed you to get in aerobatics um, the aerobatics given that hang on a second um, given that I'm an airline pilot um, you're, you're very restricted in what you can do so I thought that I met some people who were into competition aerobatics and I I was into competition horses and I I needed a change. I thought it was time to explore something else. So I set some goals and one of the goals was learning aerobatics, um, knowing that it would improve my aviation skills, my piloting skills. So you don't want to do any barrel loops while you're flying your commuters, huh? Um, Well... I fly a 747-400, so I don't think uh, I don't think the 400 passengers on board would uh, that wouldn't work too well. Very cool. And w- well, let's let's talk a little bit. You your normal day job, you're flying a 747-400. How big is the little airplane we're standing in front of? <laughs> well, it's um, it's 1,100 pounds. <laughs> It's it's not that big. It's uh, 20, you know, 25. The wingspan is 25, I think, 0.8, and the length 24. And the 747 is a little bit bigger than that. Kind of, sorta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 863,000 pounds of sort of. Well, we have a lot of listeners and a lot of young listeners and a lot of young ladies who want to learn to fly and want to get into flying. Any advice for them? Absolutely. Um, the The main thing about flying is to have a passion for it. You have to have passion for anything that you do in life. Otherwise, it becomes very boring and you don't do well. 
So for, for flying, I really highly suggest coming out to airports, taking a lesson or just going up for a ride you know, without the lesson idea. Just, just go have fun and see if you really like it. And if, if you do, then absolutely you have to, you, you can't think of how much work it is. You just have to take small steps at a time and keep pushing forward and, and you'll get it. it. It's so much fun. Sounds like really good advice. I'm looking forward to seeing the routine today. And one last thing, um, if I meant to say the word Oshkosh to you, what, do, what does that mean? Live in the dream. Very cool. Thank you again. All right, thank you. Good to meet you. Well, I'm standing standing here with the whole family. Uh, you know, we've had father, father and son, things like that, but we've got the whole family. Sir, how are you going? Well, I'm fine. Uh, we're from Indianapolis, and we've been coming here for, uh, this is our third year. Yep. And, uh, well, three years ago we came, flew in, in our airplane for the first time, and camped out. Yep. And uh, I was just so absolutely blown away by the whole event and the excitement of the event and all of the aircraft and the pilots and just the whole event that uh, I just have always had to come back. <laughs> so after after it's over, I go home and I can't wait until <laughs> it's time to come back. Yeah, I can appreciate In that. The last week I've been on the on the computer checking every... How's the weather? Is how's the, the weather? What, you know, what's going to happen, you know? So are you all, are you all camping? We are yeah, camping. We're camping. We have with two our tents. Airplanes. Yep. Yeah. Coolers and... So the kids in one tent, the adults in the other? That's right. Yeah. 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 So, so you got the party tent, you got the relaxed tent. That's yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. So uh, what kind of aircraft do you fly in? I have a Piper Cherokee 6. Okay. It's a 1969, so we get to park in the vintage aircraft area. Nice. I was going to ask if you're in the North 40. Yeah. Yeah, but vintage, yeah. vintage, vintage, okay. Vintage, fine. South 40, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's nice. It never fills up. Yeah. So you always know you're going to have a place. Yeah. No, that's it's the only way to arrive is by air. And, you know, mass formation's fun, but if you, you I don't know if they're doing a Cherokee 6. Pro. Do they do a Piper mass arrival? Yeah, I'm sure they. I'm sure they do. Yeah, I'm sure it's, they do. But we didn't participate in that. Because all the guys are saying that it's absolutely great fun to uh, do all the formation clinics and get endorsed and come on down. But okay, it's, it's just awesome to fly in here, you know, because you have this VFR approach procedure. Yep. The fiscal arrival. You're, yeah. Yeah, you're following another airplane, and uh, it's very, very. It's almost like a dance. An aviation dance. <laughs> Definitely, I've heard a lot of stories. And you come in, and, and it's uh, very gratifying yeah. to fly in here. And there's nothing like it. Yeah. There's no other air extravaganza for general aviation anywhere that rivals this. It's just something that you have to participate in. Okay, I can totally agree with that. What I'm going to do is pass the microphone around a little, and we'll start with you, ma'am. How have you been going here? I'm good. Good. Yeah. We just arrived today. Okay. Yep. So, uh, how do you go with the camping? You know, I'm not a big camper, but I um, I just have to locate where all the showers are and yeah. get organized. So yeah, yeah those those <laughs> new like I noticed in the North 40, we've got they've got a new building there, which is like yeah. you know like actual sanitation and yes. things, yeah, That's <laughs> as right. opposed to roughing it. Yep. And so, what do you like about coming here? Um, what I enjoy is um, the lectures, and then I like the theater in the woods. So I always listen to all the women in aviation, and then. Um, Last year we sat in on um, Sully's lecture and that was real good. Cool. Yeah, and then we always try to hit the um, concerts. We went to Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we'll go again this year. Okay. Yep. And how about you guys? Um, <laughs> well, I like when the planes turn and yeah. flip and... All the aerobatics? Yeah. Yeah, so did you like seeing Gene Susie doing his uh, really loud biplane just before? Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah? It how was about loud. Yourself? Good. Yeah. Anything particular? Um, I like seeing all the different kinds of plane paintings. Those are really cool. Okay, the nose art and the paint jobs on the aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my wife's pretty into the, she doesn't mind the cheesecake. She likes that 40s, 50s pin-up era. Oh, look at that. So have you have you seen any other specific art here that, that grabbed your eye or? Not yet. Okay. I'm going to keep my eye open, but okay. not yet. I like looking in the airplane. Oh, looking in the cockpit? Yeah. Do you want to learn to fly? I do. Yeah. Me too. Okay. That's yeah. two out of three. Yeah, you think uh, yeah, maybe? but my ears pop a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a shame. But you can you can deal with that. You can just yawn a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah you, chew a lot of gum. Yeah, that yeah. works. Uh, sucking on a on a sweet as well. We used to do that one when we're coming off the top of a scent, you know, coming down and yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And sir, your your favorite part of coming to Oshkosh? You know, my favorite part is uh, I I certainly like the aerobatics. Yeah. But I also like going through the hangars with all of the vendors and yeah. just seeing everything that's aviation you cool. know seeing the new uh navigation equipment and yep. all of that so I, I there's nothing here that i don't like <laughs> really yeah it's pretty hard not to i mean yeah. it's a it's a whole airport it's uh both very long runways that are the t alignment and the, everywhere between and around is, is just packed packed with good stuff absolutely yeah. it's just it's there's just nothing like it there's nowhere else on earth like this no there isn't <laughs> okay well thanks very much folks appreciate Thank you. the time all right thanks for that this is benet wilson from aviation week and your aviation queen and i love listening to plane crazy down under this is david again we're still in the nice and dry sikorsky tent standing next to their latest high-speed helicopter. I'm standing next to Dave Walsh. Um, Dave, what was your um, the role in the X2 program? Yeah, I was the test director for uh, the development and all of the flight test work that we did uh, on the project, as well as one of the small team of folks that kind of built the whole thing uh, from, from scratch. Okay, Dave, um, if you built it, tell me a little bit more about it. What are we, what are, what are we standing next to? We're not, it's not a normal helicopter, is it? No, it is not a normal helicopter. Uh, I think if uh, uh, normal helicopters are kind of limited in their forward speed by a couple of aerodynamic reasons that uh, make 150 knots or so kind of the practical upper limit of uh, cruise speed for a normal helicopter. So. Uh, the X-2 with uh, the two counter-rotating main rotors was uh, Sikorsky's way of kind of solving those aerodynamic issues and allowing the helicopter to go almost twice as fast as a conventional helicopter. And we, in fact, went uh, 252 knots in level flight with this helicopter. And this is, an, this is a compound helicopter. I believe you have the rotor um, in the wrong direction? Yeah. It, in fact, it's not a compound, which would be mean it has a wing and all that. It's a pure helicopter, but it has counter-rotating main rotors. So it has an upper main rotor that turns in one direction and a lower main rotor that turns in the opposite direction. So it has the two, two main rotors, but uh, in fact, it's a pure helicopter. So. 
And the tail rotor is not for torque, it's for thrust, correct? Right, well, no, no tail rotor on there, which is on a regular helicopter is there to uh, help you counter the main rotor torque and keep the thing pointed straight forward. Uh, because we have two main rotors and they turn in opposite directions, the torque of one cancels the torque of the other and you don't need a tail rotor. So uh, not needing the tail rotor, we put on there what we call the pusher propeller. And that propeller allows you to go fast forward. Okay, so uh, if you want to get going uh, uh, up to 200 plus knots, then you uh, increase the pitch on the pusher propeller and it allows you to go to those high forward speeds. And basically you fly it like an airplane when you're going fast. And it's a very clean aerodynamic fuselage. It, there's, there's a lot of, everything seems to be blended, is that correct? That's absolutely correct, because the secret of going fast is to have minimal drag. So lots of attention to detail to keep the drag on the aircraft as low as absolutely possible. And where do you see the X2 programs ended, correct? Well, the, the uh, aircraft that uh, we're standing by here, the X-2, was a technology demonstrator. The idea was to prove out the concept uh, of the counter-rotating main rotors, the pusher propeller, the integral propulsion system. Uh, we had several thousand parameters we measure on this aircraft, data that is going to feed future designs. So uh, this aircraft really gathered all that data for us, proved the basic idea. It is now going to be retired, and our focus is totally going to be on the next generation using this concept, which is the S-97 Raider. And we're just starting to build uh, parts for that aircraft uh, today. Um, talk to me a little bit about the S-97. What would, what's the role that going to be? Raider, I guess it will be a military helicopter. Uh, yeah, the, the initial application we think uh, the most promising immediate application would be for a light scout attack type of aircraft for the U.S. Army. Like the OH-58 class? It would be a replacement for the OH-58 and the OH-6 Littlebirds is kind of the market we're targeting, but to give them a huge step increase in their capability. You know, those air helicopters are 100 knot or less helicopters, okay? We're talking about giving them something that can comfortably cruise above 200 knots, um, you know, and can do all of the missions that those can do plus a lot more. Yeah, but when you start hanging hellfires and stuff on them, is, it, is that going to reduce the drag? It, it, um, the airplane, you know, is reconfigurable. So if you want to go really fast and let's say you're inserting six special ops troops that can be carried in the back, okay? You can remove those external stores, wings and all, and you can have the 220, 230 knot cruise speeds to get those troops in there. If you have a different mission where you need to have the weapons installed, you put the pylons on and maybe that knocks your cruise speed back down to 200, but still it's 100 knots faster than anything they have today, you know, even with the weapons installed. Uh, you mentioned troops. It'll be a, a sizable growth? It's about twice the size of the X-2. The X-2 is a 6,000-pound helicopter. The Raider's going to be about an 11,000-pound max gross weight helicopter. 
Well, Dave, it's it's a beautiful aircraft, and it's you know I'm a, I'm a, one of those believers that says if it looks good, it flies good, and this looks fast, and it flies fast, and it is the world record holder now, correct? It is uh, like unofficial. We didn't get the actual uh, uh, NAA folks here to to set it officially. So, but it is way a uh, huge step above what the current helicopter records are which is around 216 knots and we went 252 so uh, just never said it officially officially but sort of the unofficial record holder you know you did it right, right. <laughs> we know we did it by like a long shot and uh, you know even the guys at NAA who do the records and all uh, you know they all talk about it as the unofficial record holder and all that so well Dave thank you okay you're welcome Okay, well we're standing here at, uh, at Oshkosh and we're looking at a, a very, very strange car. It looks like something out of the Jetsons, uh, really. It's a car that flies. And I'm standing here with Andrew Sand from uh, Terrafugia. Andrew, thanks for speaking with us. Yes, thank you. Well, tell us about this very unique vehicle here. Now, we're looking at a vehicle that's got a uh, propeller at the back, uh, folded up wings at the moment, and uh, obviously is designed to fly and to drive on the highways. Yes, that is correct. Um, now we, we basically call it, it's a rotable light sport aircraft. Uh, it's an airplane that the wings fold up and uh, you can just drive off the airport onto the highway. Um, it does drive highway speeds uh, in the air. It'll cruise at 93 knots, top speed around 100 knots. Um, so it is both an airplane and a car. Um, you know, it does decently as both. Um, you know, it does have uh, crash safety features that you find expect to find in a car. It's going to have airbags, crumple zones, a safety cage, all of that, um, headlights. So. Uh, you get cer certain things that you don't expect on your everyday airplane also. Mm. And it's interesting you say now it's traditionally a light sport, so has the FAA itself had, what sort of input have they had into developing the, the vehicle? Obviously that would be uh, of great interest to them, I'm sure. Yeah, we've actually been uh, very close contact with the FAA. We've been getting a lot of feedback from them, and uh, we've actually gotten an exemption that gives us an extra 110 pounds. We've gotten the amphibious weight exemption for this vehicle, so we gross at uh, 1,430 pounds. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we expect our certification to go very smoothly. Uh, you know, we've, we've been doing pretty well with them. Right. Now tell us some of the specifications of the aircraft. What sort of engine does it uh, to have that, uh, to power it for flight? Is it the same engine for flight and for driving on the road? Yes, it's a, a Rotax 912 ULS, and uh, we have a custom-designed gearbox that switches the power between the prop and the wheels. Uh, through the wheels, we drive a, a CVT. It's a continuously variable transmission, uh, very similar to what you find in a snowmobile. Right. Okay, now I'm um, interested in looking at the prop here. Is it a, it's not, I mean, it's, it has to go for being a complex aircraft. It's just a fixed pitch propeller, not a. Yeah, this is a, it's a Sensenich prop. Um, it's ground adjustable, but um, for all practical purposes, it's fixed pitch because you can't do anything about it in the air. Yeah, 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 very true. So, uh, now, obviously, you're not designing this to, uh, you know, fold that on the freeway if you get sick of sitting in traffic. So the concept is you would drive yourself to an airport, fly it to the city you want to go to, and then fold the wings up and get back up on the road. Yes, that is correct. Um, you know, air, uh, basically aviation regulatory bodies don't really like the idea of people taking off willy-nilly. So uh, <laughs> basically we've had to design this so you uh, shut it off on the ground, you're stopped, everything, switch it into wing fold mode, enter your pin number on a keypad uh, that unlocks the wing fold lever. You push that into the uh, wing fold mode, just push a couple of switches, it unfolds the wings for you, push the lever into lock, and uh, you're ready to uh, be an airplane. You just start it up and 
ready to go. Before you fly, you obviously want to do your pre-flight, but um, other than that, there's no pins to mess with, um, no c controls to reattach, nothing to, uh, you know, try to minimize the things that can go wrong. Okay. Now, one interesting thing I've noticed here, it doesn't seem to have any uh, wing mirrors, any rear view mirrors. So do they attach when, for when you're on the road, or how did you get around that? Uh, on this particular vehicle, we haven't installed those yet. Uh, we're, we're still uh, in the process of building. Uh, we're going to finish the vehicle when we get back from the show, basically, and uh, start our testing then. Right. Okay. Now, um, basic empty weight, what is it? What do you look at for basic empty weight? Empty weight's going to be 970 pounds, right. about. And uh, takeoff speed? Takeoff speed uh, ro rotates at about 72 knots. Okay, no worries. And uh, what about a stall speed? That'd be interesting. I mean, how does it go in the stall? Stall speed is about 45 knots, yeah. and uh, you'll notice there's a bit of a difference between stall and uh, rotation speed. That's because our rear wheels are aft of the CG. Yep. Um, so you do need a little extra lift moment to get you off the ground. Um, it does have certain advantages uh, in that when you are coming in, if you are coming in a little fast, uh, if you're at 60 knots or so, uh, you know you're you are well above stall, but you are under rotation speed. But once your rear wheels hit, you're not going to bounce up again because it's just going to dump all your lift out. Yep. Uh, you don't have enough lift moment to, to rotate again. Right. And uh, it does have a little bit of a disadvantage in this in that your uh, takeoff rolls a little bit longer. But um, you know it's it's the price you pay for stability. And what sort of speed would you be sitting at in the cruise? What would you what sort of uh, ground speed or would you be? Ground speed. Well, uh, ground speed, I guess, yeah. is dependent on the weather. Yeah. But what sort of airspeed would you be looking at in the cruise? Airspeed, um, 93 knots cruise about, uh, about 100 knots max. Right. No problem. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating-looking vehicle, and um, I'm sure it's going to turn a lot of heads uh, both here at Oshkosh and also when you get it out on the freeways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, uh, we've already got a lot of attention, and um, you know, we're, we're all looking forward to getting this on the road. Right. And what, sort of, what sort of time frame are you looking at just out of interest to get it certified to run on the road and in the air? Well, uh, we've already gotten some exemptions from the uh, National Highway Traf Traffic Safety Administration. Um, that uh, basically means we're ready to go on the road. And uh, in terms of FAA certification, we're hoping to have all that taken care of by the end of next year and make our first delivery by the end of next year. Okay, and have you had much uh, international interest outside of the U.S.? Yeah, we've, uh, we've actually had a few international deposits um, and uh, lots of international media attention. Yeah. Um, in terms of regulation uh, internationally, we've been focusing on uh, getting it everything in the U.S. squared away, and uh, we've been looking into international regulation, but uh, uh, it hasn't been a high priority yet. Yeah, yeah. that'll be a, a very interesting process for you, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, we, we kind of uh, need to expand our research department to, to figure all that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's a fascinating-looking vehicle, Andrew. We appreciate you spending some time with us today. Yes, thank, uh, thank you. you very much. Well, there we go. Another really busy day here at AirVenture. And I tell you what, uh, despite the humidity and the uh, wet weather, I tell you what, wet weather. We, we could have stayed home and had this wet weather, but we wouldn't have had the humidity. Yeah, it would have been three degrees, mate. I've been getting the reports from everyone back in Melbourne. It's been freaking cold. But yeah. what were you complaining about? You got an extra hours of sleep because we couldn't really get out of the tent. Yeah, that's right. Actually, the rain was a good chance to catch up on all this editing you've just been listening to, folks, because uh, I think I spent about six hours at the edit desk today, so it's been a busy day. Well, speaking of editing, uh, you know, Dave, Dave Flies is here and Pilot Damon. Guys, you've been editing more than me today. We edited 
like all day. We must. Have been I don't nine, even know how hours. many hours, but we never left the desk today. Yeah. So wow. I did. Yeah. So we should catch up with uh, what you guys are doing and what what are you actually doing? A lot of video here at this uh, this meet. Yeah. We decided we're going to do video episodes to to bring the uh, bring the people who aren't here along for the ride, help them to enjoy Oshkosh. And I mean, it's just there's so much. You know, you you've seen how the scale is of this place. So, you know, it's like we have to basically pick and choose what we want to cover and just kind of it's we're giving you a taste you know you have in order for you to experience Oshkosh you must come and do not plan to see everything but we're going to do the best you know you guys are doing the best you can to give the audience at least a little taste of what's happening that's amazingly true I tell you every time I every day I spend here I walk into another section of this place that's just just as big as the one I just left and you think I didn't see this yesterday yeah yeah tomorrow well we've got tomorrow we've got a flight to make we've got to go to the Warbirds you got editing to do, but we'll squeeze the editing in and all the other stuff. Yeah. While he's doing that, I'll be out collecting way more content, so especially the Kiwis, so it's all good. Yeah, so anyway, there were some great interviews, and uh, you know we're, uh, we're still banking a lot of content too that will be coming out in later episodes. We've uh, been doing a lot of work with the guys from Gips Aero. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Great guys. Yep, so that'll be an episode on its own. And uh, Grant, we're also planning a Kiwi episode. We've uh, caught up with a bunch oh, of mad Kiwis here. Did I drop a few hints about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I did. Uh, yeah, that was a bit of impromptu planning uh, on the run today, actually. Yeah, yeah so. no, I've run into a whole lot of Kiwis. There's the Kiwi Innovations and uh, about three or four other stands with individual Kiwi companies and they're doing some great stuff ranging from an assembled kit that's uh, about 30 maybe 40 parts that go towards assembling this kit but it's still apparently will probably apply the 51% rule so it's a it's the fury it's a pretty amazing kit you know and then there's the uh, fly-in where you get to go and stay on a farm and go flying aircraft all around New Zealand with a, a safety pilot on board because uh, New Zealand is a lot of mountainous uh, weather dependent flying and uh, you really need that flying uh, safety pilot on board. Speaking to some people who have done that, they say there is no way you can be uh, ready to fly in New Zealand unless you're a uh, trained New Zealand pilot. Well, there you go. We might just uh, wrap it up here, standing here on this humid night here in Camp Schola at uh, AirVenture 2011. Another really busy day and uh, still three more busy days to come. So uh, yeah. Get this edited and in the can and get to bed. We're going to need some sleep, gentlemen. But we can't uh, finish off without our traditional sign-off. So coming from Camp Shola, just remember this, folks. It's what's down under that counts. And especially when it comes up and over to Oshkosh. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under with Steve Vischer, Grant McCarran, Dave Vanderhoof and Baz Sheffers. Recorded live at AirVenture 2011 Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Proudly sponsored by JetRide Australia, Crazy Racing, Gibbs Aero, Aviation Advertiser and Thromby Air. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, video and photo sites. Our PCDU Twitter feed can be found at playingcrazydownunder.com. For feedback, story ideas and advertising inquiries, drop us a line at any time, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. Production facilities at AirVenture were provided by mytransponder.com and supported by Sennheiser, Canon and ICANN. Playing Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media production, a proud member of the Lifestyle Pod Network. Whenever you're ready. This is Benet Wilson from Aviation Week. Shut up. I'm going to record that. Oh, I'm keeping that one too. (laughs) Sorry, Benet. And I love listening to Playing Crazy Down Under. (laughs) That's 361, Geek Zone 1. Just do that last minute. <laughs> All right, Dano. You don't have to work Hi, this is uh, Dan Webb of the uh, premier aviation podcast in the world. 
Um, and I, I'm here to endorse my my good acquaintances at uh, Playing Crazy Down Under that I listen to when there is no other option. See, I listen to Playing Crazy Down Under when C-SPAN goes off the air. No, but seriously, <laughs> no, I'll do a nice one. <laughs> oh no, I'm keeping all of it. <laughs> no, okay, fine. Hi, this is Dan Webb from the Airplane Geeks welcoming our great friends from the Australia Desk and Playing Crazy Down Under. And it is great for you guys to finally be here and for us to finally meet you after after doing the Australia Desk for, what, what two years now? Jeez. So thank you for every week of wonderful, wonderfully edited content. And 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 we're looking forward. You know what? I, I'm trying to do a nice thing here. You're making me sick here. <laughs> don't, be no, don't be nice to us. I know it doesn't come naturally to you. Hey, you want to do one? You just say nice things. I'm a bit for playing crazy. But we, I am grateful right. for you guys. It's like making fun of you. Out of love. That was Dan Webb. <laughs> At Dan Webbage. Oh, you were still recording that, weren't you? Un unfollow immediately. <laughs>